We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 85. As we are all well aware by now, horse riding requires so many logistics, and a lot of the decisions we make are based on the safety and overall health of our horses. Well, there was an organization that started in 1960 called the National Horse Carriers Association that was used to encourage and promote the highest standards of horse transportation in the industry. If you personally do not transport your horses, this type of organization is so important to find companies that are super reliable for transporting your horses. So I wanted to have a couple members of this association on to talk about kind of the nitty gritty of how to select a horse carrier and just kind of the ins and outs of that area of the industry. So here to talk to us today are Marcy and Judge of the National Horse Carriers Association. Well, I would love to hear a little bit about how each of you got into the equestrian industry and what that looked like for you for starting out before you got into the NHCA. Maybe judge chat first about how you first got into the equestrian industry. Sure. I'm one of four children and I grew up, my parents had a stable on Long Island. And as uh, kids, we all worked at the stable. We grew up at the stable and taught riding lessons at school horses and so forth. And then when I got uh, old enough to go on my own, I didn't care to be in the stable business. And I went to work for uh, some horseman companies in uh, Belmont and Aqueduct. Cool. And Marcy, what about you? Well, my grandfather had a riding stable in Mount Kisco, New York. And before I was even born, they had a pony in the backyard for me. (laughs) My sister and I grew up riding with horses in the backyard, going to horse shows, and then progressed on to riding with trainers and riding stables. My grandfather had started the vanning business for the need to take his clients to the hunts and the local horse shows back in the 50s in the Westchester County area. So it's been in our family for generations. Nice. That's awesome. Having you guys have a background in the horse world has obviously played a large role in the NHCA. Can maybe judge, could you explain what the National Horse Carriers Association is and why it was founded? Sure. It was uh, founded in Louisville, Kentucky in 1960. There were uh, motor carriers from Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio that had a common interest in really um, sort of improving the horse transportation industry as a matter of safety and so forth for the customers and to everyone's mutual benefit. They went on over the years to develop an insurance program that they uh, shared among themselves. They shared the the, uh, lost record and they shared the premium savings among themselves. And this is our 60th year since the founding in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Wow. Amazing. Marcy, what does your membership look like? 
Currently, we have 30 different band companies in the membership, representing 18 different states and one from the province, Alberta, Canada. Um, and it's from California to Washington State, Florida, New York, I mean, all across the country, like I said, 18 states. And we get together twice a year. We have meetings, one in the beginning of the year, January, and another one in September. And the attendance of these meetings are very good. We generally get nearly every member attending with at least somebody from their organization attending the meetings. Um, at least once of the, of the year be at the meeting. Um, wow. So there seems to be so many options for horse haulers to work with. What makes the NHCA members stand out? Well, uh, first of all, the uh, membership itself votes in the new potential candidates. And we have a very high standard that we expect those candidates to live up to and to once they're in our group to, to maintain. So as far as the uh, you know, high standards of, of the driver qualifications that we use, the drug testing and the vetting of a lot of all our employees, the excellent equipment that we use, the schedules and the office people that are so experienced with long distance and local traveling on how to schedule it for the customer at the best possible way, the most efficient way. And when these members, we, we vote and if they don't get a majority vote, they do not get into our organization. So there are 30 Potentially 30 people are, are voting on the new applicants. They uh, usually come in because they've been recommended by another carrier who works with that carrier. So that we keep adding to our network. And the network of companies is what really is key because we all really work together well. And we all try to work with each other. I really don't think there is any, hardly any animosity amongst the members or there's competition, of course, because sure. we're all in separate businesses, but we really do work together quite often and quite well. It's definitely comforting to know that if you are a horse owner or a trainer looking to ship your horses within the NHCA, that no matter if you are using hauler A or hauler company B, that it's going to be under the same amount, the same standards and quality. That's not something that changes or has like a big variation between one or the other. Judge, what would you say are the most common mistakes that people make when they're shipping their horses? I guess if I were to give a one-word answer, I would say Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> You're going to have to us, explain. <laughs> Facebook for us is we find that to be a very poor way to make a selection. I think a much better way is to choose a legitimate trucking company. Certainly, we think the National Horse Carriers Association has superior companies, but there are other legitimate companies that are not members of the National Horse Carriers Association. What's needed is you need to consider apples versus apples. Price is certainly one of the poorest ways to make that selection. If we look at a trucking company that has uh, over-the-road sleeper cab tractor trailers with two men that are scrutinized by the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, is a whole lot different than a guy on Facebook with a gooseneck and a cowboy hat. Nothing against cowboy hats. It's just a man with a uh, non 
sleeper equipment, a pickup truck that's advertising to go from Texas to Chicago, there is no possible way that can be done safely. Or legally. Or legally. It can, it's, it's illegal to ship horses in that manner over that distance. And those are, it's, there are ways to look that material up. And that's on the internet. And it's part of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. You can look up my name or the guy with the gooseneck trailer. My guess is he does not have a license to all horses for hire. This is a uh, our business. We have to we are licensed by the federal government. We maintain a level of insurance of a million dollars, and it's really hard to compare with a guy that has a barn and a uh, pickup truck and is just looking to make a little extra money. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good point. Marcy, when people are choosing to work with a shipping company, what are some of the important questions they should be asking that company when they're considering hiring? There's many questions I think that customers should be asking. Numbers of them would be, who, how many drivers do you have on your trucks? How um, many stops is there going to be after my horse is picked up when he, before he gets to his final destination? Where is he going to go? Yeah. What's the route? Is it going to be direct or any company or individual that's willing to pick up your one horse is willing to pick up pretty much anybody's one horse. So how direct and how much time is my trip going to take? Will he be on the same truck that picks him up in, say, Connecticut? When he arrives at his destination in California, is there hmm. going to be layovers? Is there going to be another carrier involved or two? Or, and where exactly are we going to lay these horses over? I think you can ask those questions. And if I say, where's my horse going to go? Well, if it's going to go, what I think is too many stops or too far out of the way, then just decline that trip. Say, well, I'd rather wait for another one. I'd mm-hmm. rather wait, be on a trip that's a little bit more direct. If I'm going from New York to Florida, I really don't want to go through Kentucky or Tennessee, or I certainly don't want to make a stop in every state between New York and Florida. So sure. I'll, I'll spend my money, uh, make the selection that suits me. No different than you would with an airplane trip. Absolutely. Marcy, what are some things that keep horses the most comfortable and safe during those extra long trips? Oh, that's a little bit of a difficult question. Uh, everybody's got their preferences on whether they should wear bandages or blankets. Personally, I prefer they don't wear any of those things. They tend to, we ship a lot of young horses, a lot of yearlings, a lot of American foals. So those things just tend to uh, irritate the horse on the trip. Uh, of course, the show horses need to have their blankets on because they're clipped. I think training, the, uh, having your horse prepared to load, to know how to lead, to know how to maneuver him in the trailer so that he's easily backed into his stall space. Um, sometimes people don't handle their horses as much as you would expect or think. For the show horse world, that's a whole different realm. They're handled daily, hours and hours a day. The thoroughbred and some of the other disciplines, they just aren't handled like they could be or should be. Uh, of course, every farm's different and some are wonderful at it. Some tend to not just bring them out to the field and turn them out and bring them back in. So those are difficult to handle and difficult to load. And when they expect the drivers to make up the difference of their lack of education by you know, putting themselves out there to 
educate the horse and try to make it a good experience for the horse. You know, it, it, so it's you're gonna next time say, okay, I'm gonna walk on this trailer. That was fun. That's a hard thing for, for us, I think. Um, that's well, what else you could do to make your horse comfortable in your opinion, Judge? We use uh, shows has changed over the years that I've been doing this. And people are really, uh, they're willing to pay for more stall space mm -hmm. than they did years ago. We used to stand horses, three horses side by side in the space of a truck. And that's something that in our in the show horses, you certainly you just never even see anymore. Now right. it's at a minimum two horses side by side. So that's more space. But today on trips, Exceeding six or seven hundred miles, we see the, the majority of the horses travel in a box stall, which is he's loose. He can turn. It's the same as a box stall at home, only a little smaller. A water bucket hanging up in the stall and hay on the floor where they can eat off the ground the way they uh, normally and naturally would. And horses arrive in much better condition. We would say that they'll all arrive in a safely. But are they ready to race or show or do whatever you expect them to do? They would be in much better condition after uh, shipping in a box stall. But there's an expense to that. Right. Box stall is, is so much better for their upper respiratory system because they're not upright like this, tied up, breathing in the dust and the, the hay moats and things from around the trailer. And that's getting stuck in their airways. If they can get their head down, they can blow that out. And, and Sure so much better for their, their respiratory system. Definitely. Judge, what are the general qualifications for drivers of accredited horse carriers? Do they usually or generally have experience with horses prior? They generally do for the simple reason they have some interest in the industry. Uh, a truck driver that have, would have uh, no background with horses really wouldn't find what we do to be interesting or or even sometimes maybe not even tolerable sure uh, the people that that come to us usually have a background in horses they're interested in machinery and uh, our insurance companies are uh, pretty demanding we need people that have a minimum of three years over the road tractor trailer experience they need to be above 21 years of age which is federal law often above 25 years of age. They have a uh, USDOT prescribed physical exam that's good for anywhere from six months to two years. We have to have a pre-employment drug test, drug screen done, and the entire time that they work here for any of our members, they are drug tested on a random basis. We're uh, federally mandated to drug test 50% of our drivers hmm. randomly every year. So we have a company that maintains a consortium and four times a year, I get a notification that we must test driver A and B, possibly driver C, so that we test at least 50% every single year. Got it. Wow. And Marcy, how often do horses get checked during uh, one of your lengthier trips, how often are they getting looked after or checked on? Well, the trucks all have closed circuit TV cameras in them. So they're under constant monitoring during the entire trip. That being said, then generally the truck stops every four to five hours to water the horses, refill the hay nets, 
A big thing with that is the vibration and the movement of the truck. The horses are always trying to balance themselves. Mm-hmm. So when you stop the truck, say for a half hour, 45 minutes while you're watering, the horses get their legs, get a little bit of a rest. And I we've discovered too that if you offer the horse water when you first stop the truck, they don't really want to drink it. But after about a half an hour, after they've relaxed and, and that detoned down a little bit, then they'll, they'll take the water and they'll drink it. Um, and it's it's every four to five hours, so it's a good amount of time in between that they get water frequently. And now we also like the box stalls, especially you can hang water buckets, so water's available twenty four seven. Got it. Uh, so that's a good thing too. Yeah, that's amazing. I wanted to share a little bit of info with you from our lovely sponsor, The Tried Equestrian. The Tried Equestrian is the ultimate full-service provider in equestrian consignment sales. Their mission is to reduce the amount of textiles that end up in landfills and are proud to provide a way for you to clean out your closet while helping make the planet a little greener for us and our homes. So to start consigning, all you have to do is visit triedequestrian.com and request your free consignment kit today. You just have to package up your goods, send them off to the Tried Equestrian, and let them worry about the rest, like photographing each item, marketing the item, shipping the item off to their new home. They do it all. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and wait to get paid. So head over to their website. Again, that's triedequestrian.com to get started. Thank you so much, Tried Equestrian. Okay, let's head back to the episode. What is the longest trip that is normal to take? I mean, obviously it depends financially and and with case-by-case situation, but is there a certain limit where a long trip is just too long and then maybe someone should consider flying a horse? The longest trips that just my business, my company that, that we do would be from the New York area to Calgary, Alberta. That's for a, a large, popular uh, horse show at Spruce Meadows. Mm-hmm. So a lot of horses go, the vast majority of them go by truck. They go nonstop, all in box stalls, okay. uh, two drivers on, on every truck. And that trip takes about 48 hours. That's a long trip, but these horses, they arrive in condition to show, and mm-hmm. it's a world-class horse show. So it's uh, these a lot of trainers have made the decision to go by truck. Some go by air. There's no direct flights to Calgary, Alberta. So I think a lot of times what needs to be done is you need to compare the air trip, although the time in the air is much less, the entire trip could, in fact, be longer. Right. By the time you pick up the horse at the farm, take it to the airport, wait, load. Airports are the same as for passengers. For horses, it's a slow process. So a lot of people go by truck. Often there's uh, truck trips to California. Most of the, almost all of those would have a layover in somewhere in the, in the middle of the country. And there are farms that we and all others use simply for that purpose. They're uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. Is Dr. Poole, who's a veterinarian. She runs a layover farm. So to have a place where a horse can stand down for a couple of days, either waiting for a ride to another part of the country or simply resting and to have a veterinary service available, it's, it's, it's great for the horse. 
Definitely. And that's just something that I'm sure over time you have collected those relationships. And that's, you know, just another thing that makes the NHCA special is that you guys have all those connections in place. What would you do when you are hauling a horse, your companies are hauling horses, and you experience a horse that's under a lot of distress, which I'm sure happens quite often? What are some things that you can do as a hauling company to help with that? I would say if you had the room, if he's standing in a, in a stall cross-tied and you had the room to put him in a box stall, a lot of horses get that claustrophobic. Uh, they don't like being confined like that. Sure. If you can put him in that more comfortable situation, that will always help. If he's really under distress, we have a, a network of veterinary centers along our routes that we can call in the middle of the night if need be and say, listen, I've got a horse that's colicky. He needs to have a vet look at him. And they will either send someone to you or you drive the van to like the University of Ohio, for example, or someplace along the route that has a veterinary clinic to stop at. The drivers are not allowed to give tranquilizer to the horses en route. Uh, You can have them, them tranquilized before loading, but we do not let them carry syringes or anything of like that. I mean, the hands keep them occupied. Sometimes if it's really bad, the other driver, we used to years ago use attendants in the back. We don't use that anymore, which they could stay back there and, you know, pet the horse and say, good boy, you're going to be okay. You're going to mm-hmm. be. So sometimes if the driver rides with the horse for just a little bit, just to get him over that initial thing, anxiety, that helps. Yeah, definitely. Think of anything else? The other thing that I mean that I probably should have mentioned before with National Horse Carriers, we have a network throughout the country. And if I have a problem with a horse, more likely if I have a problem with a truck and occasionally if I have a problem with a driver, we've had drivers uh, get hurt or get sick in, in, in route. And we have a network. And it's, if I'm in Ohio or if I'm in Kentucky or if I'm in Vermont, we have somebody that we can call. Another member that can either come with a truck, come with a driver, or perhaps just uh, recommend a repair service or a veterinarian and so forth. And that's a big part of what we do is that we're all, we all have been there with, with problems from time to time. And we all know how alone you can feel if you have no network. I, I honestly could not imagine what it would be like to set out with a tractor trailer full of horses to go 1,500 miles and know that if I break down in the middle of the night in South Carolina, I mean, I just have no alternative of what I'm going to do. But in fact, the members do, do have an alternative and they can make a phone call. And there's probably another member that either has a truck passing by or in fact will send a truck out. And it may be, you know, it could be, we could be on the side of the road for three or four hours, but it's better than uh, for a day. And so it's, I think that's important, an important distinction for our membership. Definitely. And Judge, if you are traveling with a full load of horses, what are some of the things you consider when you are placing horses in certain positions on a trailer? A lot of it, it has to do with geography. Mm-hmm. The first horse is picked up and the, and the horses, how they're delivered. So I need to start out with a horse in uh, Lakeville, Connecticut. I need to consider when he's going to get off the truck. 
if he gets off in northern Florida, that I need to have him play in a position where I can get to him even after the other horses are loaded. So that and stall space. Horses that stand in regular stalls cross time are in twos. So I need two side by side. Box stalls, I can place, but once the horse is in a box stall, we're not going to take that box stall apart and take the horse out until he's at his destination. We wouldn't do it to simply move him to get access to another horse. So really, geography probably has more to do with it than anything. Okay. For my business, I would say the Colts and the Philly ratio. Racehorses, you you cannot stand a, a race horse colt next to a racehorse Philly successfully. Anyway, so we tried to put we tried to put the fillies towards the back of the trailer if possible, or loading all at one spot because the filly smell will then blow out the back of the trailer. The colts are in the middle or are in the front of the trailer. They won't smell it as much. Um, oh, and then we, we have, we use Vicks or some kind of vapors to make the colts not smell the fillies. Sometimes we have a horse that, I had a horse just last week. He doesn't get along well with other horses. Okay, well, that's, that's a problem. <laughs> so we put him up in what we call the peak, which is the very front of the trailer, and didn't put any other horses next to him. Mm. So that he didn't have any other, and then the, the, when the ramps are put up, he's up there. He's enclosed. He was he was not able to see other horses very much, or he could hear them obviously, but he didn't, couldn't get to them if he needed to. So he was sure. that was the way to deal with him. So yeah, it depends on the situation a lot of times. Yeah, smart. So then when. You are, when you are loading a horse on for a journey, and obviously it'll depend on the the length of the journey, but when is it okay for your horse to have its last meal, let's say breakfast before they go on a trip or dinner? What is kind of your protocol as far as your horse's feeding? There's a, there's a quote that I often share with people. One of the uh, pioneers in our industry is a man named Tex Sutton, and he was a, uh, he worked for Eddie Arcaro, the famous jockey, who was Eddie Arcaro's valet. And then he took his money and invested in uh, horse transportation only by air. And he was one of the first. He was a pioneer in the transportation of horses by air. And the company still exists, although Tex does not. The company is H.E. Sutton Transportation or Tex Sutton Air. Anyway, Tex Sutton's famous quote was, a horse will never get sick of what he doesn't eat. So he was a great believer in a very minimal amount of food. Certainly on the truck, we would never feed anything more than hay. And occasionally people want hay cubes. So we would never give horses grain or a mash or anything like that on the truck. And I certainly wouldn't recommend anybody feed him in the morning before he goes. A little hungry will never hurt him. But overfed, we could have a big problem. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Marcy, it might be a surprise for people to know that there are a lot of women in your industry. So can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a female hauler and what you most like about what you do? Well, there is, as you said, stated, there are quite a few women. Nicole Pirat of Sally Horse Bands as one of the biggest band companies in America. They probably have 50 trucks. Carrie Cargill has a very large company out in California, also with quite a few tractor trailers. And Carrie's daughter. And Carrie's daughter participates with her. There's quite a few drivers, dispatchers. I would say most every company has female dispatcher in their office. So 
I don't think it's really not that surprising to, if you look at the big picture of the world and how women are almost had a woman vice or woman president last time. So I think that it's not quite as surprising as you would think. It's challenging. I think it's challenging for women in this industry because there's a lot of it's trucking. That's the bottom line. It's trucking. And being a horse person is great, but the truck aspect of it is can be difficult for females, I think, who are judged by the fact that maybe they don't have a mechanical inclination or hiring drivers. Sometimes I have drivers that come in that don't know our industry. It's a little difficult speaking to them because they're, you know, they're used to hauling freight or other things that they don't think women are capable of directing a trucking company. So I find that difficult sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, What I do like about it though is us girls stick together between the, the band company is owned by women and also the women trainers and women in the industry. I think that they like to support each other and they do support each other. Um, I've had a, quite a few customers call and say, wow, you own this company? That's wonderful. I, I really like to support women and women in the industry and I will try to use you as often as possible. So that's what I do like about it. Very cool. Yeah, that is awesome. And Judge, is there an area of the shipping industry that you are particularly passionate about from your time working with the NHCA that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community doesn't either know a lot about or doesn't talk a lot about? You know, one of, I guess one of the most important things for me, I've been doing this for a long time. Tomorrow, uh, we'll be in business here for 42 years. Wow. We started in 1978. Before that, I started driving horse vans in 1970, and in 1972, I went to work for Marcy's father, mother, father, grandfather, and I was there for six years before I started my own company. I've known Marcy since she was little, but one of the most important things to me is my relationship with the people in this industry, in the uh, trucking and the horse transportation industry. It's very important to me. And the fact that we're able to work together, most of the people that I know on horse transportation, I have known for more than 25 years. So to be able to do that and to compete in a friendly manner, that in a manner that would uh, benefit uh, both of us or all of us is uh, really important to me. And I don't think people uh, realize it's not the it's not a competition that's uh, very fierce. We're, we're, we're friendly competitors and we're all trying to uh, make a living and provide a, a good service for our customers. Definitely. Yeah, I think that is exactly, exactly. It's good to hear and it's good to know with the NHCA how there's that sense of community that you guys all have with each other. And that has extended to all of the clients that you work with. When you have a client looking for someone to ship their horse. What is the best way that they can find information about you and reach out going forward? Well, we all have websites, obviously. A lot of us have Facebook uh, pages that show all of our equipment, us doing the job that we do as it goes on, Instagram, uh, that kind of thing. I think that gives you a good idea of what the company you're looking at how they perform, how they are they professional. And I think, honestly, aside from the social media and, and websites, pick up the phone, call that person and, and speak to them so that you get an idea of how they think about things and how they they do their, they conduct their business. I think personal communication is very, is key to this. And 
I mean, recommendations from people that, that Paul courses a lot are very valuable because they know who does the right job and who does the good job and who doesn't. So I think that's a good portion of it. Definitely. The other thing we have is, uh, again, with the network, if someone were to ask me, how could they get their horse from Connecticut to uh, Colorado? We don't go to Colorado because we can't do it in an efficient manner with enough uh, horses. So we may, in fact, recommend that we take their horse to Kentucky to a layover farm. And there's a member of our organization that, in fact, goes to Colorado from Kentucky regularly. Okay. Uh, the customer only has to make one phone call. The paperwork is uh, is contiguous from uh, Connecticut to Colorado. They're dealing with, they know exactly what the price is. They know exactly what the insurance situation is. And there's, there's no reason to worry about where their horse goes. Other independent companies can't offer that kind of service. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I think going through an association that has so many different companies like you do, it really makes any sort of intricate travel process so much easier for the client. And so I think that the fact that you guys can offer that is is pretty incredible, especially understanding the horse world. There's always a million and one little details. And so that a client can just worry about one call and have their hauling secured and they know that it's going to be with a reputable company. I think that is such a big relief for so many horse owners. Agreed. And we have a lot, like you said, with the network, there's not just one company that goes to Colorado. We can choose from there's two or three. Yeah. So that makes it, if you want to go this week, we can usually find you a ride this week. And we don't have any question in our mind that of the four companies I might call to get your horse to a different destination. Every single one of them, I put my own horse on the truck. You know, we, we trust them. We just know that they're going to do the right thing. I love it. Well, Judge and Marcy, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Equestrian Podcast. I have learned so much and I know everyone listening will as well. So I wish you all the best and everyone at the NHCA. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, for you very us. much. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.